Hi, I'm Pastor Lori Boucher, and I want to personally welcome you to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Are you ready to study the Bible together chapter by chapter? If you go to heartstrong.life and sign up for a free membership, you will get access to the full Bible reading plan and all the bonus discipleship content that we have prepared for you. Open up your Bible and get ready to take some notes because God is going to speak to you today. Let's become heartstrong disciples together through the study of God's Word. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time together. We thank you, Lord, that um, every time your people are gathered together in one place, in one accord, something incredible happens because you're the center of attention, all eyes on you, all ears listening to you, and everybody leaning into you. So Holy Spirit, have your way this morning and lead us. You're the great teacher. You're the one who unfolds the scriptures and brings it to life. So bring it to life for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. All right, so we're going to get started with a memory verse. And uh, if you have that in front of you, you can just uh, take a look at it. And uh, like we say, just say it out loud um, and follow after me. So Philippians 2, verse 1 to 4. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection, and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. All right, so we're going to do our high-level summary and uh, just talk about what is Genesis 9 to 11 uh, really about. Um, and, uh, you know, this, as we well know, is the account that happens right after the flood. So this is the restart, right? After the flood, Noah and his family have come out of the ark. And the stories in this chapter are really about the fall of man again. Um, every human, saved and unsaved, needs the redemptive power of the cross. That's really what this is about. Because again, we remember that when the Lord chose Noah, he, he said Noah is righteous, he's blameless, and you know everyone else around was not. They were walking in a different path and uh, the Lord chose him. But we can see in these stories from chapters nine to 11, that there is a sin nature in all of us. And so all of us, whether we're saved or we're not saved, we need Jesus. First Corinthians one to 18 says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. And when this scripture says being saved, then really that implies something that's going on. Um, so Bible commentaries on this verse describe this as 
you know, for the one group of people, they're heading to destruction. Um, and that's all of those who are currently walking on the path that leads to destruction. And for the ones who have been saved, it refers to those as being on the path of salvation. And both groups will always need the cross. We will always need the cross for our entire time on this earth. For one, the cross is needed to get off the path of destruction, while for the other, the source, the cross is the source of power to stay on that path of salvation. So, of course, we know that this re refers to the power that raised Jesus from the dead, which is basically the Holy Spirit. Um, and this links into what um, Pastor Jason had mentioned yesterday about the fact that blameless does not mean sinless. So we really shouldn't be taken aback um, that uh, literally we almost see an unfolding of the beginning of Genesis again, where they come out for the restart and literally two chapters into the restart, um, we see the sin nature of man uh, coming up again. And, um, and so this is the essence that all of us um, are being saved by the power of God. And so, you know, um, Noah walked in that path of salvation. Um, the rest of the people around him, they walked in dis destruction. So although he readily shared God's warning to everyone around him, he sounded the alarm, he talked about the plan, he wanted people to come into the ark and say, look, this is what the Lord is doing. Can you change your mind? Can you, you know, you need to come in. But they choose to stay on the path that they were on, which was that path of destruction. And sadly, this may be a scary reflection of what will happen at the judgment day. And I do recall Andre mentioning this um, yesterday. This is a, a, um, something that makes us pause and think and look at that story to say, if it's a parallel, then there's something we should be doing now. We need to be intentional in that great commission. And this is regardless of ridicule, um, just maintaining that sense of urgency. All the lives that we touch, all the lives that we interact with on a very regular basis at work, you know, our neighbors, uh, do we have that sense of urgency that that day will come? And, um, you know, and if we don't, um, that's actually, you know, something the Lord brings and convicts us about because it's, we have to ask ourselves, do we truly love our neighbors? Because that is the ultimate reason that Jesus came back to earth for every single one of us. Um, so in his never ending faithfulness, God still loved the people. And so um, we heard this profound statement again yesterday that God is not trying to blot us out. He's trying to blot out our transgressions. And Dr. Diane, that, that was so powerful. And we see that so beautifully reflected in the covenants God made with man. And so in chapter nine, uh, we see the Noahic uh, covenant that was introduced uh, yesterday. And this is concerning God's promise regarding the earth and its seasons. And then chapter 11 ends by introducing Abraham. And then as we move into chapter uh, 12 and beyond, which we're not going to do today, we'll be introduced to the Abrahamic covenant. 
that is the blessing in the promised land. So beautiful. So what does this mean for us? You know, how can we apply these sto the, the stories in these verses to our lives? Well, walking with the Lord today is not a guarantee against stumbling into sin tomorrow. And so, you know, when we look at this chapter, we see the fruit of Noah's obedience leading to the saving of his entire family from the flood. But we also see a combination of his sin and the sin of his son having an impact on the future generations, the Canaanites. Um, and we, so we need to recognize that our personal obedience as well as what appears to be a personal sin has an impact on our families. It has an impact on families generally, and it has an impact on generations to come. So I'm just going to pause and, and just pray into that. Um, and, and as I'm praying, I want you to um, uh, lean into the Holy Spirit because I believe he's going to be speaking to each of us uniquely um, as we're spending this time together. So Heavenly Father, we pray that we would submit to the leading and the promptings of Holy Spirit as he works in our hearts to keep us on the path of salvation. May we be quick to obey, submitted to biblical correction from the body of Christ, quick to repent and to change direction so that we may stay on this path of salvation. May we lean into you during the seasons where our faith is tested that it may yield the fruit of perseverance, that we, may, that we may be mature and complete in you. And so Holy Spirit, would you speak to each of our hearts about an obedience step you want us to take today, starting today, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So as we go through the teaching today, um, We'll just lean into that and, and trust that the Holy Spirit will give you a personal obedience step and trust him for um, um, giving us people around us that we can hold ourselves accountable uh, to and find the scripture that pertains to that obedience step, um, knowing that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you and trusting that every instruction he gives us is for our benefit, not for his, actually, it is for our benefit. And, and that he has actually already empowered us to obey him through the Holy Spirit. Um, and he's actually walking with us through all of life's challenges. So just wanna encourage us with that. And, and then we'll go into just do a deeper dive. So in terms of the resources that I used, um, I use the Tyndale Life Application Study Bible, the New Living Translation, uh, the Believer's Study Bible, New King James, um, Amplified Study Bible by Joyce Meyer, uh, Bible Hub Commentaries, and BibleRef.com. But most importantly, knowing that this is the living word of God, um, I asked the Holy Spirit, would you teach me? this morning? Would you teach us this morning and bring this word to life? It's okay to get into all of these resources and it's wonderful, but this is not just a book. This is actually a living, a living thing. And I want you to bring it to life for us. So let's read from chapter nine. 
And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. So every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. As for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From, the, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. So, and then he goes on to say, whoever share, uh, sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. And so here we see that identical command that was given in Genesis 1.28, blessing them and telling them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And, and we also see how God extended the categories of food um, you could eat from herbs and fruit that yield seeds. That was in Genesis 1.29 to every moving thing. Now, personally, I will be quite selective about which moving thing I eat, but that's just me. Um, now, very early in the restart story, God actually defines the supreme value of human life. And I almost felt like, okay, he did this for Noah's family, probably thinking, let's not have another Cain and Abel story at the beginning of the book. Um, and, and then he expands on it. He's talking about lifeblood, about an animal's um, uh, blood being indicative of life stream and a reminder that God is actually the controller of that life. And that, that's why it is necessary for him to give us permission that we could actually eat this animals for food. Um, and actually this deep respect for blood is the first step in a long process establishing the symbolism of Christ's sacrifice for human sin on the cross. So on a human level, of course, we, we cannot kill or harm another human being without answering to God. And that penalty must be paid. There's, there's just no other way out. To kill a person is to end the life of someone made in the image of God. And when that happens, regardless of how it happens, um, it cannot be undone. And they are set either on a path of destruction or on a path of salvation eternally. And, um, and so this instruction is not limited to taking someone's life physically. Actually, Jesus clarified the definition of murder in the New Testament, where he equated it to hatred. And once you read those scriptures, all of a sudden, it affects all of us. First John 3, 14 to 15 say, if we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. And anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. You know, there's this uh, challenging quote I read from, um, it was by John R. Rice. And he said, when boiled down to its essence, unforgiveness is hatred. And if that quote is 
true, if unforgiveness is hatred, you know, harboring that unforgiveness inside of us, that's actually being put at the same level as murder. Um, and the only thing we're to hate really is sin. Uh, God hates that too. And we find that in Romans 12, 9. But when there's true repentance, the blood of Jesus pays the penalty for that sin in our hearts. And that sin that's committed physically by killing somebody and he pays that penalty on our behalf. So let's continue reading from verse eight. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the, of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be caught off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. And when the rainbow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant um, between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. And, you know, this is a beautiful, the Noahic covenant. When you think about it, a number of times the Lord is saying, this is a covenant between me and you and all of living things. He, he even said all of the earth, because when the flood came, it was a complete restart, right? All of the animals, but the ones that were saved, that went, that were preserved according to God's instructions, everything was wiped out. And so the Lord is making a covenant that the earth as it is now, I would not wipe out the people and the earth ever again. And, you know, a covenant is the most solemn and binding form of a divine promise. It's really an assurance of God's commitment and a reminder of his faithfulness. So how beautiful it is to have this incredible sign associated with this covenant. Um, just such a beautiful thing. So we're gonna continue in um, verse 18. Uh, the sons of Nor who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Um, the three sons were the son, these three were the sons of Nor. And from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. And Nor began to be a man of the soil. He planted a vineyard, he drank up the wine, he became drunk, and he laid uncovered in his tent. And you know the story. So Ham walks in, see his nakedness, and he goes out and tells his brothers. And so Shem and Japheth 
walk backwards to cover up um, Noah's nakedness. And you know, um, when we read that story, um, the scripture never minimizes or condones sin. We know that Noah sinned. Um, drunkenness is something that's spoken against in the scripture. Uh, Proverbs 21, you can see that there refers to wine as a mocker and strong drink as a brawler. And of course, nakedness is indicative of shame. Um, so we don't have the details of what Ham did when he saw Noah naked. Um, you know, only Ham, well, God, Ham, possibly Noah knew what happened there. Um, but Bible commentaries say that, you know, this was not just about him seeing that because it could have been accidental. So this was either because he was mocking or because he told his brothers so that they also would go and sin. Um, and of course, we know that Ephesians 6, verse 2 to 3 says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it will go well with you. So honoring your father and mother was not tied to their behavior. It was tied to a commandment from the Lord. And uh, But the other interesting thing about this is that this was not just the curse um, that Noah gave. It wasn't his personal uh, uh, feelings. Um, it was actually a prophetic uh, word. Um, he saw into the future of the Canaanites. So, so he spoke this curse against Ham, who was his son, but against his grandson, Canaan, who was Ham's son. Um, but he had already seen into the future. And as a matter of fact, the commentary say, says God himself found the delinquency of the Canaanites intolerable. And ultimately he drove, drove them out and literally giving them up to their own sinful tendencies. And he put the descendants of Shem in their place. And so if you read through um, chapter 10, it's, 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 it's often referred to as the table of nations. Um, and it's describing the chosen descendants as well, all the descendants from Noah, but Shem's family was the chosen uh, um, um, descendants. And so you can read through that and you will see that um, basically what happened was the people increased, they scattered in all directions. So Europe, um, Asia, Egypt, Ethiopia, Canaan, Arabia, the Middle East. And as you read it, you would see that um, there are many names mentioned in chapter 10 that are identifiable with nations of ancient times, some of which have continued on down to the present. So beautiful story there. Um, Chapter 11, this is one of those stories in the Bible that um, we're going to spend the rest of our time uh, on, on this story, the Tower of Babel. Um, I'm sure that um, for those of you who have had kids, this is one of the stories you would read um, in, in the kids' Bible, and they would just never forget this story. Um, and we'll just start reading from verse 1 in, in chapter 11. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops, the, the top of it in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. 
and the Lord come down to, to okay, we, we be dispersed across the earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And so this is what the Lord said. He said, behold, they are one people and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. And so he said, come, let us go down. Let us is implying God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he was talking um, um, to the Trinity. Let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And, um, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. And um, we had that, that um, ending there talking about um, Terah, who took Abraham, his son, Abraham, his son. So this is really setting up, leading into you know, the Abrahamic uh, promise. So one of the descendants from Noah, the father of Abraham now took him, Abraham, and took Lot, um, who was his grandson, but Abraham's uh, nephew, and took um, uh, Sarah or Sarai, his daughter-in-law, and they went forth together. Um, and the intent was to go to the land of Canaan. Uh, but when they came to Haran, they settled there until Terah died. So now the idea to build a tower that went all the way up to heaven was not just a silly ambition to build the world's first skyscraper. Um, here we have a redo of the fall of man in Genesis 3. It literally happens three chapters into the restart. And um, the Tower of Babel was really designed to rise above everything else in existence. Um, there was likely, a, it was likely a stepwise tower that's called a ziggurat. And they were used actually as pagan temples. So it was a symbol of religion of the people. And of course, it was direct disobedience and unfaithfulness to God. Um, so this is both a story that, um, gives us the essential ingredients of success, ironically, um, it gives us that picture of this is how you achieve a goal. You have a group of people in one place, in one accord, they were in agreement. However, they were also in contempt of the word that the Lord, um, of God's word, and they were disobeying him. And uh, this really reminded me of a sermon I listened to a while back by Pastor Robert Morris, and, and it was on a different topic. He was talking about the pure language, but he made this link between Genesis 11 and the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. You see, because in Acts 2, they were all together in one accord, and they were in reverence to God. So that was the difference. Um, now, in Acts 2, the scripture says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, right? A tongues of fire descended on each of them, and the Holy Spirit enabled them. Now, one of the key differences here is they waited. They were in one accord together, and they waited for the Lord. 
Um, and when this happened, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, everyone around them understood what they said in their own language. So here you have people waiting on the Lord with different languages and the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit descends and everybody understands each other. So the Lord honored the power of that unity in one place, in one accord. Um, and I think this actually speaks to the importance of gathering together physically as the body of Christ. Now in Genesis 11, we see something a little bit different. Here they gathered together, but it was for a different purpose. Um, they wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to achieve greatness by building this tower. They weren't waiting on the Lord. They were going to him. So it was about pride. It was a desire to take the glory that only belongs to God. And the second thing it was about was power. You know, they resolved to remain together in defiance of God's instructions that they should spread out. So here they are gathered together, going to meet God. So he acted to disable that unity and confuse their language. You see, whether the goal is good or bad, um, that unity in one place and in one accord is actually very powerful. Um, and so if God didn't intervene, they absolutely would have achieved what they had set out to do. Um, Matthew 18, 19 says, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my father in heaven. And so this is a beautiful thing. And I'm just going to take another couple of minutes just to um, dig in a little bit further in this and uh, before we, we, um, we close in prayer. Um, so we notice that God did not destroy the people. They were under the Noahic covenant. As a matter of fact, what God did was to protect them. So God is not threatened by evil, but evil or sin is threatened by God. And if they accomplished what they were going to do, they would have actually been destroyed because we remember the, the, the vision of Isaiah of heaven. He was commissioned when he was commissioned to be God's messenger. And he got a glimpse in this vision of God's holiness. And his response was, woe is me. I am undone. I am undone. And um, unfortunately, contempt toward God has continued to be a pattern for the Gentile nations. Um, the name of the ancient city of Babylon became synonymous with pride and power, and it represented a rejection of God. And so with God confusing uh, their language, they couldn't understand each other. And so they didn't have agreement. And eventually, because they couldn't understand each other and didn't have agreement, they couldn't live together. And so they dispersed across the earth. And they called the place where God confused them, Babel. And it's in the translation for that word um, used among the Babylonians is gate of God. So in other words, they were making a gateway to God. And so the rest of the chapter really goes into the history of the generations of Shem. Um, this lineage came all the way through to Abram and his nephew Lot. And Abram's father, again, took them out, 
died, you know, in Haran. And in the next chapter, God will um, call Abraham to continue that journey because it was about a covenant and a divine purpose. So we'll stop there and uh, we'll close in prayer because uh, I'm sure some people want to head out to work. Uh, so we'll just take a minute to do that. Father God, we just thank you for um, this time together. We thank you that um, as we dig into your word, your word ministers to us in a profound and beautiful way. There's no better place to be than around your presence. And as people head out to work today, as a family disperses in different direction, Lord, I thank you that um, your presence go with us so that we would represent you well. And we will walk this journey that you've called us to and just enjoy our love relationship with you. So we give you the glory and we speak a blessing over every life today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's Bible study. Don't forget to visit heartstrong.life to access our daily blog for even more encouragement. Visit the HeartStrong shop with all kinds of awesome merch like hoodies, t-shirts, and mugs to remind you of this awesome journey of discipleship that you are on. Log in to heartstrong.life to access all your member content, resources, and downloads. We have live Bible studies for adults, students, and a Bible boot camp for kids. Let's become heartstrong disciples together.